So today we start uh, part two of a three-part sermon or series on the book of Habakkuk. Um, last week I really thoroughly enjoyed the message. I felt like it was something that God was speaking to me about. I felt like it was really um, a message that He was trying to get across to me. I hope that. Um, God spoke to you through that. I, hopefully today we can pick up where we left off. Um, before we do, I just want to recap a little bit of what we learned last week from the book of Habakkuk. We asked this question, Oh God, where art thou? And as we uh, were going through this and Habakkuk asked God this question, God gives this answer. And we learned three different things from that, or we are reminded probably of three different truths from that. Uh, the first is that God has a plan. Whatever you're going through in life doesn't just happen out of, without anybody knowing what's happening. God has a plan. Job 42 verse 2 lets us know that God has a plan that cannot be thwarted. It cannot be changed. It cannot be altered unless it's something that He is allowing to happen. So God has a plan. The second thing is God is in control of that plan. He directs the king's heart like a water course, wherever he wants it to go. And if he can direct the king's heart, he can direct the president's heart, he can direct your heart to wherever he wants you to go. God is in control of his plan. And ultimately, God's plan is going to be accomplished in your life. God's plan is going to be accomplished in the president's life. God's plan is going to be accomplished in the, t the lives of our people of our town. Jeremiah 32 verses 17 and 18 reminds us that nothing is too hard for the Lord. I don't know if anybody here needed to rely on those uh, truths at all this week. I, I admitted I kind of had to. Like, uh, I, I got a flat tire thinking... Why, why, why couldn't it have happened like uh, 30 seconds sooner? I could have actually been at the turnoff. There's all sorts of room instead of hugging the, the side of the road. Um, why couldn't I have made it uh, a quarter mile down the hill where Riegerville is? Or 13 miles and made it home? Why not? God has a plan. God has a purpose. And so I, was, I had to remi be reminded that, okay, God, you got something that you want to do. So hopefully, um, if, if in your life, if you've had to experience something that you feel like, I don't understand God, why? Hopefully you were reminded of these three simple truths. Today we're going to be looking at what I would call uh, Habakkuk's second question. Because last week, Habakkuk asked God a question. God gives the answer. And then we have this point where Habakkuk's kind of like, uh, he's, he seems a little bit more confused by God's answer that he's going to use the Babylonians to punish the people of Judah. So I, I titled the message, God, oh God, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you know what this means? Are you sure you know what you are doing? Because sometimes in life we might want to ask God the same question, are you sure? Uh, we're gonna, I want to read to you uh, Habakkuk's response to God's answer that he's going to use the Babylonians to punish his people. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 12 to chapter 2 verse uh, 1. He says, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made, made men like the fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no rulers. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. 
Therefore he sacrifices to his net, and he burns incense, incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Let's, let's pray and ask God to bless us with what that answer is of God, are you sure? What is it that God wants Habakkuk to know? Because this is exactly what we need to know in our lives as well. Father God, I thank you for being the God that you are, that you are in control of our life and our circumstances and our situations, even if we don't understand them or appreciate them. God, we know that you are good. And God, I know that sometimes even though we know those things, we still want to ask God, are we sure? Are you sure that you know what you're doing? Are you sure that you are in control? God, you gave us two good answers of what to remember and to focus on when we are still wondering, God, about what you're doing. And I pray that that comes out clearly in this passage. God, I pray for my words to be your words, that whatever I say is exactly what we all need to hear. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've already looked at the three facts about, uh, that we already know that God is in control, that God has a plan, and God's going to work out that plan. We saw it in print. We can read it in the Bible. But do you ever find yourself still wondering, is that really true? Uh, do you ever find yourself ever wondering, God, do you know what you're doing? Because all these pieces put together do not line up. It doesn't make sense. Uh, Habakkuk seems to be in that kind of situation where he, he, he knows God's in control. He knows God is good. He says, you're the rock. You are holy. But when you put this all together, the, the pieces just aren't lining up. And so Habakkuk asks this question, God, are you sure? Are you sure you know what you're doing? Uh, in chapter 1, verses 12, like I said, to 2, uh, verse 1. And, and Habakkuk's response, or his to God's answer, there's three parts to it. The first part of it is that, uh, God, you got to remember who you are. Okay, I want you to remember who you are. And he talks a little bit about that. Um, one thing he says is that you are eternal, God, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Anybody in Awana that remembers that verse? It was our uh, large group time a couple weeks ago. And Habakkuk is telling God, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And as God, your qualities remain the same. They do not change. You do not improve. You do not grow in knowledge or wisdom. You have all and you know all. What you were, you are. And what you are, you will be. God, you are eternal. He goes on to say that you are holy. You are righteous. You are set apart. You are the rock. Your works are perfect. And all your ways are just as, as Darren read in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. A rock is firm. It's reliable. It's, it's trustworthy. It's not going to alter or to change. He tells God, you, your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. And I, and I don't understand because you're using evil to you evil people to punish your people. And you even raise them up to do this. As Habakkuk 1.6 says, I am raising up the Babylonians, the ruthless and impetuous people. God is raising up the Babylonians to punish his people. And Habakkuk says, this is not making sense. You are eternal. You are righteous. 
Remember who you are. And then he says, you know what, God? Look at what you, who are you are who you are using to punish these people. We looked at these last week, uh, verses 6 through 7. These Babylonians are people with a bad reputation. They're impetuous. They're acting without thinking. Whatever they feel like they want to do to punish somebody or to take or to accomplish, they don't think about what the outcome is for those people or what kind of impact it's going to have later on in life. They just said, I'm doing what I want. Uh, they're a devastating army. They were unstoppable. They were, they're a cocky army. They're like the ultimate enemy. They're good or they're bad and they know it. And they're able to defeat every foe without much effort. So Habakkuk saying, look, God, look at who you are. Look, God, look at who you're using. And in part three, he's saying, uh, look, God, look at what this means for your people. Verses 12 through 14. Um, he says, you have made... Um, I'm sorry, 14 through 17. You have made men like the fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls them up and it, with the hooks. He catches them in the net. He gathers them in his dragnet so that he rejoices and is clad. We have a picture here of fishes because they're caught. And, he, and Habakkuk is saying, God, look at your people. They're caught. This is what they're going to be like. How hard is it going to be to catch a fish out of that? Even I can catch a fish out of there. <laughs> I can reach in my hand. I put my glove on first, but I can reach into there and I can pull out a fish. It's not hard. He says, this is what they're going to be like. A fish in a barrel. It's going to be a piece of cake to, get, to, take, uh, to pick off these people. He says, God, you are holy. Look at what you are. Look at who you're using and look what it's going to do to your people. It's going to be a very bad situation. And Habakkuk is asking God, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you know what you're doing? Are you sure you know where this is ultimately going to lead? He's not the only person who asks God questions. We looked at a question last week. Oh God, where art thou? And I, and I bring up the question today. Oh God, are you sure? And I think about the, the situations or the examples that we looked at last week and with Leslie. You know, I, I told you last week that the fact that she has MS or that people have seizures or people have heart problems, I don't question God about that because I know that's a part of life. But I told you last week that I didn't understand God's timing for that to take place because she had just got this job at the school. And I can kind of figure out how beneficial it was, but I don't know. But then I'm still left with these questions like, um, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? Because you know, when Leslie was at school, she, you know what she was? She was a gal who always smiled. And Mr. Schumacher would point out the fact that she was always happy. And sometimes it was the only smile some of these kids were going to see. But also, it's another Christian witness in the school. We know we have Nicole. We know we have Mrs. Wagner. And I'm not sure who else there is very vocal about their faith or demonstrates their faith at school. But I know Leslie was that kind of person. She was working on... The cooks that would come in and help with her. She was working on help pointing them to Jesus. And I want to ask God, are you sure you knew what you were doing when you took her out of this? You just put her there for such a short time. She was trying to serve you there. Do you know what you are doing? Do you, did you realize the effect that this was going to have uh, on, the, on the school? 
I think about the abortion clinics. We want to ask God, what are you doing? Um, or, or, or why, where are you? Because the abortion clinics are still functioning. Uh, we, we can say, God, you know what? Even between last week and this week, I don't know how many lives have been lost but the clinics are still open. These babies are still losing their lives. God, are you aware that when you didn't shut it down last week, that how many babies were going to be lost up till this point? Or what about the family that struggles with somebody in their life that wants to have an abortion? God, are you aware that what, what kind of implication this is having on families and on communities? God, are you sure that this is what you want to do? Or even the injustice or the loss or the heartache that you feel in your own life. You know, another week has passed. You still want to ask God, where art thou? Are you, are, don't you realize that this hurts me? That this situation in my life is not changing? And we can just develop these questions. Last week I mentioned that that's a good reason. Not a good reason, but that's a popular reason why people say, I want nothing to do with God. Because he's not answering my prayers. He's not helping me out. He's not allowing me to get out of this bad situation. And I'm stuck here. And God doesn't seem to care. And we struggle with these because we know that God is all-powerful. We know that God can do anything. We know that God is in control and he has a plan. But God is not obliged to tell us anything. He's the creator. You know, we, we, I can look and say, God, why didn't you make me... More like this. Doesn't the, the guy who makes the, the clay structure get to choose what he's going to make with that clay? The same with our life. He's, he, he has the freedom to mold and to shape your life and put you on a path, even if it's not what you want for yourself, because he is God. He has every right to do whatever he wants in our lives. We ask the questions. God gives the answers. God gives the answers to Habakkuk. I'm not going to read this whole section as a time. It's a, it's a lot of words to, to, to try to read, and I think we might get lost in, in trying to understand as we go. So, but, but we are going to look at the three answers that God gives to Habakkuk about, about what he's doing and about what Habakkuk needs to do during that time. Two are positives, like make sure that you are doing this, and one is make sure that you are not doing this. And they're the answers that we need. When we're going through a tough time in life and we want to question God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Are you sure you know what you're doing? These exact answers are the same things that we need to know as well. God's answers to man. The first answer that God gives to Habakkuk is to wait on the Lord. Verses 2 and 3. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time, it speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. You know, God is, his plan is so trustworthy, he's telling Habakkuk, write this down. Send it on ahead. Give it to everybody. You know, it's really hard to hold people accountable for what they say unless it's recorded, right? I can get up and say all sorts of things and we can get jumbled up and mixed up. But that's like with the presidential debates or you have people who are in, on trial. They keep a record of what is said and then they can play it back to you and say, look, Mr. President, or look, criminal, or look, Josh, this is what you said. 
And, and God is saying, you write this down. It is going to take place. It's not going to happen possibly when you want it to, but he's saying, wait for the Lord. Wait for my plan to take place. You know, at the present time, the nation of Babylon is puffed up. It thinks it's invincible. Nothing has happened to it. Nobody has been able to stand up against the Babylonian army, and it's thinking it's hot stuff, and it's just going to keep rolling through city after city. But you know who's not concerned about that? Anybody want to take a wild guess? It's the, it's the Sunday school answer. God, right? God's not concerned about that because he sees the whole picture. He sees it all. Habakkuk says, I don't know how this is possible. It's not making sense. Are you sure this is the route that you want to go? It's a lot like watching a rerun. You know, I'm, I'm a person, I've, I've admitted a couple weeks ago that I don't like competition. You know, I struggle with not knowing the outcome. I love watching Andy Griffith's show. I love watching reruns because I know how it's going to turn out. Now, we've been watching, um, oh, what is it called? Alfred Hitchcock's show. You guys ever watch Alfred Hitchcock? And some of those, they get really intense. And I'm like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And it's, it, it gets me on edge, and I'm, I'm kind of like, I struggle to get through it. But if I watch it a second or third time, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm completely relaxed. God knows it all. He knows what's going to happen. He is completely relaxed. He has nothing to worry about. If God was to go to bed, if he was to sleep, which he doesn't, he would go to bed and not worry about it because he knows what the outcome is going to be. It's hard for us to grasp that. It's hard for me because I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And what do we want to do as people? We want to worry about it, right? We want to be concerned. We want to try to figure out backup plans. I, I, I set my, my course and I think I'm going to go this direction. And just in case that doesn't work out, I'm working out all these contingency plans. So in case that fails, I can still get where I want to go. We run, a, we run ourselves ragged. We worry. We, we, get, we just cause ourselves all sorts of turmoil and troubles that we should not suffer. God doesn't suffer them. He doesn't want us to suffer them. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31. There's your option. You have your option to worry and try to make it all work out yourself. Or you have Isaiah's option. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. When you're worrying, you're spending all your strength. I've done it. I, I worried until I was exhausted. And I've spent it all and it didn't get me anywhere. Or I can just relax. And I can trust God and be like my battery's recharged. Like it's going to be okay because I know God has a plan. I'm, I'm, I'm going to run and not grow weary. I'm going to walk and not be faint because I put my trust in. In the Lord, I'm waiting on Him. I'm hoping for what He's going to do. I, nothing's happening now, but I have my confidence that in the future He's going to take care of it. So the first thing we need to do is to wait on the Lord. I know that's easier said than done, but that's the first thing that God tells Habakkuk is to just cool it. I've got this. Just relax. The second thing He tells them to do is to live your life by faith. The righteous will do that. Verse 4. He says, See, he's puffed up. His desires are not upright. Talking about the wicked. He says, But the righteous will live by his faith. And that is what Habakkuk is choosing to do. Now, living your life by faith obviously has to start with a salvation kind of faith. You know, uh, Habakkuk had to trust God for, for salvation. We're, we, we have to have the same kind of faith for salvation um, that he had, right? We, we have to have the same kind of faith. It says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, 
and without faith, it is impossible to please God. I can do all sorts of good things. I can get up here and preach. I can give all I possess to the poor. But if I don't have faith in God for salvation, guess how much all that stuff is worth? Even this is worth nothing. It's filthy rags. That's all it is. If I do not have faith in God for salvation, the righteous are only righteous because they have put their faith in Jesus for salvation. But there's more to this. Uh, there's, there's trusting God to do his will. You know, that's what Habakkuk, he kind of comes up with as the conclusion. If you got a bulletin, it's in there again. But Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, he's telling God ultimately that I'm going to trust you. And God is pleased by that. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, which obviously that's a terrible situation to be. I have no food. I have, I have nothing. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The righteous will live by faith, trust God to do what he's, he's going to do that is best. That's where Habakkuk is. He's living his life by faith. And we have to find ourselves in that same kind of situation. I think about Leslie, and I think, okay, I don't understand, God, what you did in the first place, why you worked everything out. But Leslie, she just has to say, okay, I'm going to trust you, God. It, it, it may be a poor ending. It may be like some a magical thing that says, okay, that's why it happened. We have no idea. But she says, I'm going to trust you, God, in this. And that's what the righteous person does, lives by faith and trusts God for what he's going to accomplish. We have to trust God for what he's going to do with the abortion clinics. It's not what I would do. I would, I would like immediately like destroy every single one. Boom, boom, boom. They're all gone. And that, that would be an end to it. But I have to trust God that he has a plan. God has a plan for those doctors. He has a plan for those families. He knows what he is doing. The righteous say, okay, I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you. But there's a third part of this. The righteous will live by faith is being obedient to God's word as doing what it is that God has asked me to do. Um, you know, God is not pleased when we don't have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He's not happy. Even if we have faith in him for salvation, but we don't live a life of faith, he's not happy about that. He's not excited about that. He says, I want you to trust me and I want you to obey me. I want you to do what it was that I put in my word for you to do. His faith shows up in his actions. On one side of Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. On the other side, a man's faith is revealed by his actions. The righteous man will live by faith. So first thing God tells Habakkuk is, trust me. Wait on me. I will, I've got this, Habakkuk. And he tells Josh in Plevna, wait a second, Josh. I've got this. Don't worry about it. I will take care of this. He says, Josh, this is what you need to do. You need to live a life of faith. Yes, Josh, you put your faith in me for salvation, but you got to put your faith in me that I'm going to do the right thing. And that you got to put your faith in me enough to obey what my word says. So even when I don't like it, or it doesn't make sense that I'm doing it anyway, the righteous will live by faith. Then he says, here's the one thing you don't want to do. Okay, he says, the, the thing you don't want to do, uh, there's, there's five of these, and they are all woes. 
He, he goes on from, from verses 6 through 20, and he says, Woe are these people. He says, You don't want to live an unrighteous life, Josh, because the unrighteous person is going to be punished. Now, you start with that, and you, you see, obviously, the unrighteous person is, the unsaved person is going to be punished. The person who has not applied uh, God's righteousness through their life through salvation, they are going to be punished in hell forever. So if you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, woe is you, unless you do something about it, because you're going to spend eternity in hell, away from God, in fire and torment forever. But it's not just those guys, woe to them. It can be woe to me too. And I'm a believer in Jesus. Woe to me if I am not at living that righteous life because everything that we're going to look at here is things that I can find myself doing if I'm not careful. And woe or shame or bad for me if I'm willing to do this. So the unrighteous are going to be punished. We're going to look at these for the woe for the Babylonians first, because these are specifically about how bad they were uh, defeating nations and about wanting to attack Judah. But the same, there's same truths in here that can apply to us, because obviously we're not going to go off to war and pillage and plunder and kill people. You know, it'd be real easy to say we're done with this because it has nothing to do with us. But there is something in here that has something to do with us. And when it comes down to it, it really can sum it up when, is that they will reap what they sow. The unrighteous do wicked things. They are going to reap what they sow. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature is going to reap destruction. You plant it, you reap it. The one who sows to, ple uh, to please his spirit, uh, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You sow good, you reap good. You sow bad, you reap bad. And so that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few minutes quickly at the, the five woes that uh, God shares with Habakkuk about woe to those people who live the unrighteous life because they will be punished. So the first woe is selfishness. Uh, the, the Babylonians were very selfish people. Verse 6, it says, Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Obviously, these guys were selfish. They were stealing. They were plundering. They were attacking cities and taking everything. Uh, a lot of what Judah had or Jerusalem had, they, they, were, they took their gold and they took it back to Babylon. And you find that... Uh, you find stories about that, how the Nebuchadnezzar's son was using those gold goblets and all these, these fancy things that they stole from these other places. <clears throat> they were, they were uh, attacking people. They were hurting people. They were using force and threats in order to get what they were wanting. And what do we learn from this? Well, besides not to be selfish, uh, verse 17 and 18, it says, Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? You know, a, a debtor, I, I owe somebody money, and at some point, they can call me to account. Right? I have a house in Davenport that I owe X amount of dollars on, and they can say, Josh, you owe this money. Pay it right now. And all of a sudden, i got to say, okay, let me hurry up and see what I can do to get a loan and get this paid off. But it can be called to account. The wicked person who is selfish, 
for, for example, is going to be called to an account. The Bible talks about having to give an account for everything that we do or say. So that means the people in this crazy mixed up world that are running around chaotic doing all sorts of things somehow are going to have to give an account to God for what they did and why they did it. Whether they are unsaved or whether they are saved, I'm going to have to do some account giving to God. So the abortion doctors who took life after life after life, they are going to have to give an account. Sad for them, woe to them, but I find hope there because God's got it. God is in control. The political troublemakers, they seem like they're getting away with everything. They are going to have to give an account. The people in your life that are, going, that are causing you hurt and turmoil and frustration, find peace in there because they are going to have to give an account. Just make sure that you are not that person. So the, first of all, we see that the Babylonians, they were a selfish people. And we can be selfish as well, but woe to us if we are selfish. That's not the way that God has intended us to be. The second thing, we see woe to those who are dishonest. Verses 9 and 10. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. These guys were plotting ruins of many nations. They were just going to wipe out pretty much everybody except for their own people. They were destroying cities. They were destroying lives. And they were being dishonest. And what we learn from this is that nobody gets away with every, anything. Verse 11, it says, The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. You, you look and say, there's nobody to, dis, to stand up against them. There's nobody to stop them. But it says, you know what? The buildings are going to be crying out that you guys are dishonest, that you guys are wicked. And we see that in life, the, the situations in life where we feel like dishonesty is getting away with, uh, at some point it's going to be made known. I think about the Astros. And I, I was hoping Kurt was going to be here because uh, he's the only other baseball fan that I know in here besides Todd. But they won the World Series a couple years ago. And now, they, and they were cheating in ways I didn't even know was possible. You know, they had people in the, the opposite end of the from the batter and they had cameras and they had signs to try to tell this is what pitch is coming and like the modern era it's just the same old sins over and over they're just beautiful they're just amplified you know that we have more and more ways to carry out these things but they got busted right be sure your sins will find you out that's what happened to the astros uh kids who cheat on at school they get away with it for a while and they get through years and years of years of school and then all of a sudden they get to college and they don't know what they're doing. They cheat their way through college and they get to the job site and they don't know what they're doing. Somehow they are going to uh, get it. They're, they're going to have to give an account. Nobody is going to get away with it, with anything. And even if they do for till they retire, at some point they are not going to get away with it because God already knows. Everybody's going to have to give an account. They're not getting away with anything. So woe to those who are selfish. Woe to those who are dishonest. Number three, woe to those who exploit or take advantage of other people. Verse 12 says, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. These people, sounds like the Babylonians were 
building their cities with slaves, with bloodshed. We're just going to work these people into the ground. I don't care if they die. They're just a slave. I'm just going to grab another one, stick them in this place, and say, keep building my city. Rude, jerk, not what the way you should be treating your, your enemies. Obviously, they're enemies, but I think they were taking it way too far. They were exploiting them, taking, their, taking advantage of them. Verse 13 and 14, it says, Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what we see from that is that our sinful choices are in vain. We're building our kingdom. We're cheating on the test to get that grade. We're, we're cheating the system to win the series. And all of a sudden, at some point, it's in vain. It's going to crumble. It's going to collapse. It's going to be found out. I'm going to have to deal with this. What you reap is what you sow. And that's what God is telling Habakkuk. The, the Babylonians, they have, they have sowed destruction and evil and terribleness. And that's an, enough to cause him probably stress and frustration and worry. But he's like, my plan is going to, be, to come to completion. They are going to reap with what they sow. They are not getting away with anything. Which is why when uh, next week with chapter 3, he says, okay, I can trust you. I don't understand how this all is going to work. But you, you obviously have a plan. You're going to work this out, and so it's going to be okay. I think about people who are getting away with things that I, I didn't even know were, was possible. Um, you know, with human trafficking, that's something that's really become a great big uh, crime. I mean, it's been brought to the surface. I mean, it's been happening forever, but I hear about tunnels under cities and buildings and all these people that are involved in this and even pastors who are involved in this and it's like this is just like a huge spider web a network of people who are doing this and it looks like they're getting away with it but they're not going to get away with it at some point it is going to crumble number four they were dealing with drunkenness and violence. This is what the, the Babylonians were doing. Verses 16, or 15 through 17. It says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it out from the wineskins till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now, we, we have this picture. Obviously, I'm not going to try to develop that out. We all kind of know can picture something like that. But I think the idea is not necessarily I'm giving somebody something to do that. It's more what they were doing to cities. They were wiping out and laying cities bare. No, no care for the city, no care for the people, and it was just laid bare. They were doing <clears throat> whatever it took to wipe out all those people. And he says, uh, verse 16, he says, Now it's your turn. Now you drink and you be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence that you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. They are going to reap what they sow. And you can read in Daniel chapter 5, verses 30 to 31, when the Persians came in and they defeated Babylon. They thought, we're, we're invincible. We have our big gods. We have all our statues. We have, we've wiped out all sorts of people. But their, their glory didn't last forever. Their power didn't last. At some point, they were going to reap what they sowed. And the same thing in our life. We will reap what we sow. 
If I'm, if I'm stealing from the company, at some point I'm going to reap the consequences. If I'm cheating on a test, if I'm um, intimidating a, another voter, you know, if I'm doing anything like that, at some point it is going to catch up with me. The fifth thing, the final thing, is idolatry. This is what the Babylonians were doing, and this is something that we can find ourselves in the church in Plovna doing thousands of years later. <clears throat> Verses 18 and 19. It says, Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it, or an image that teaches lies? For, who may, for he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The, the Babylonians of that day, they would take a piece of wood, and I hope they got a strong piece of wood, and they would fashion it and say, I'm trusting this. They, the Babylonians had their great big statue. They had the golden head on top. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar wanted everybody to bow down and worship the statue. Three famous men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, said, I'm not doing that. They reaped the consequences of their decision. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. God kept them safe out of that. But that's what they were. They were idol worshipers. They were saying, we are going to worship and trust in what we have made to, to save us. And, and God's telling Habakkuk, can that thing give wisdom? Can it give advice? How can that thing protect you? You know, if somebody's hitting you with a stick, you know, maybe you can hold your little idol up. Or if you get a big one, you know, you can protect yourself for a little while from something. But it can't do anything for you. And what we learn is that our false gods will let us down. If I'm trusting in anything besides God, it is going to let me down. Now, obviously, in America, I don't think, I don't know of anybody personally who says, I have an idol at home that I, I bow down and I worship to, and I create my own, and I sell them, anything like that. But we can easily find idols in our life. Uh, three that I came up with that are, I, I feel like are pretty easy to do is my job. I can, I can, my, my job can be my idol, my family can be my idol, and my money can be my idol. And I will admit, it's, it's hard not to put my confidence in people. It's hard not to feel comfortable because my bank account looks fine. It's hard not to, to feel like I'm going to be okay because I have a job. Because those are things that I can see. Those are things that I can touch that I feel like I have some control over. And it's, it's hard not to put my trust in those things. But you know, uh, at some point, my work is going, to, uh, is going to let me down because it's not always going to be there. I mean, the, the work will always be there, but I'm not always going to be able to do that job. So if I'm trusting that job to help me out, at some point, I'm not going to be able to do it. If, if money is what I'm trusting in, money is not the answer for everything. You know, um, if it was, you know, I'd be making a, a, a buttload of money, uh, whatever it took, and I would get rid of MS. People would get rid of cancer. People would get rid of whatever problem, right? If money was the answer to everything, people would work even harder to make more. Money won't be the answer for every problem. And then my family. You know, my, my family is like 750 miles away. I mean, your family's here, but your family isn't always going to be there. Right, if you're at school taking a test, mom's in the building, sisters and brother, you know, they're in the building, but they can't help you. 
You know, uh, a flat tire in the middle of the night, they, they don't always answer the phone, right? They, there's, just, there's just not always, they're not always there uh, when you need them. They're not always capable of solving every problem that you have. They will give you their best advice. They will show up to help you if they can, but they cannot do everything because they are not God. So we ask the question, oh God, are you sure? Uh, because we don't know what God is doing. We don't know what God wants to accomplish, but we just have to trust that God has his timing. You know, we don't have to worry about what he's doing. We shouldn't worry about it. What we should be doing is the two things we should be doing is waiting on the Lord. Is just saying, okay, I'm just going to trust you. All hell is going off all around me, but I'm just going to trust you. And the second thing is making sure that while I am trusting God, I'm going to live my life by faith. I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm an honorable person making good choices, living by faith, that I put my trust in Jesus for salvation, and I'm just going to trust God to do what He wants to do. Wait on God to do His thing, and then live a life by faith while you're waiting. I want to conclude, as we did last week, as I've already read, uh, with Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, uh, about Habakkuk's response to all this. Because he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't understand it. But ultimately, he comes to the conclusion that in spite of all this, I'm going to trust the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, So the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pens, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. May that be what we do. May we say, you know what, in spite of all my circumstances or all my questions or all my fears or concerns, I'm going to trust God to do what he knows is best. And I'm going to trust him and I'm going to live a life, a righteous life of faith. And God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your compassion. God, I thank you for your grace. You know that we are fallen people who screw up. We're fallen people who don't always trust you, God. We, we, we run ahead of you sometimes. We, we struggle to trust you. We struggle not to worry, God, but we know that you are good. Thank you for your patience with us. I pray that, please, God, you would show us answers to the questions that we are asking. And even if you don't, please help us to trust you, God, and please help us to live a righteous life of faith anyway. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.